0: This is a WTOP original podcast.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. In this episode, I speak with Wynne Robertson, the head sommelier at Bourbon Steak, located inside the very prestigious Four Seasons Hotel in Washington, D.C. He oversees the wine program there, and he has really brought it up to par excellence. The Rockville, Maryland native built up his wine education over five years in Las Vegas, working really in places like the MCM Grand to Palazzo, before finally returning to the D.C. area to work at Bourbon Steak. In this episode, he shares his tips for aspiring sommeliers and the grapes and wine styles that really stick out for him right now. I think you'll really be surprised at some of the wines we taste together. So stick around and drink in this episode with Win Roberton. It is my pleasure to welcome Wynne Roberton to the Vine Guy podcast.
0: Scott, thank you for having me.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for being here, Wynn. We've known each other for a long time. I was super excited when the podcast launched, because you were one of the first people I thought of when I wanted to get one of my favorite psalms in the city in. and I'm just so excited that you're here. and I'm even more excited to get to the tasting portion uh, at the end of the podcast, because I see one of the wines that you brought in, which is one of my favorites, but we won't give that away just yet. Fair enough. So, Wynn, I just found out today, I did not know this, that you're actually from Rockville, Maryland. You're you're yeah. a hometown boy. Yeah,
0: uh, my parents uh, moved the family to the area when I was 5. So, did all of my all of my schooling up until college in Rockville.
1: Very cool. So, what led you away from from here? What led you on your journey in wine? Just kind
0: of curious. Well, first it was college. Uh, I went up to Penn State okay. um, after high school and, Go to Nittany? yeah, absolutely. And um, just kind of started working in restaurants. Uh, just to make some money. But before that, there was always a really passion of for me drawn toward food. Um, I love the Food Network. I love the Travel Channel, learning how to cook, you know, messing around in the kitchen. And that just kind of sprung me into restaurants, which was no surprise. I always loved going to restaurants. And then wine was just a natural kind of extension thereof. Did you work in restaurants? Yeah. Uh, well, my first restaurant job was uh, in my junior year in college as a busser at a Chi-Chi's. So I was frying chips and you know bussing tables uh, full of tacos. And if I walked out of there with eighty dollars on a Friday night, I was super happy.
1: Which, by the way, I think everybody should go through that experience. Uh, it, it's invaluable. It, it is absolutely. invaluable. I did it. You know, I'm trying to get my. You know, I've got a couple of my my uh, my own children doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. So, but you're not going to learn a lot about wine at bussing tables at Chi-Chi's. No,
0: certainly not. Um, so, uh, after a year or so there, I, I jumped over to a. Nicer restaurant in State College. I like the air quotes. Yeah, you, uh, you
1: realize nobody can see yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did realize that. Um,
0: so, a, a nicer restaurant, air quotes, um, across town in State College, called the American Ale House, and got a, a server position there. And realized, you know, I can make more money if I sell wine as a server. Um, people ended up liking it better, and it, it, I kind of kind of felt smart, you know, when I could recommend wine. So, uh, the first wine that I latched onto there was the Schaefer Firebreak. Uh, from Napa oh, yeah. Valley, it was an yeah, old yeah. wine. I don't think they make it anymore. It was fifty yeah. Cabernet Sauvignon, fifty percent Sangiovese.
1: Why did they? Why did they stop making? I
0: loved that. I think wine. They ripped up the Sangiovese. I think that's what Doug Schaefer told me. Oh. There's, there's no more. I'm mean, not that they couldn't buy some, but right, I yeah, think, not a lot made. of
1: Sangiovese in in Napa Valley yeah. these days.
0: Yeah, so, too bad. So that was my first, and that was that was my first uh, wine that I sold, and it was a whopping fifty dollars a bottle in the restaurant.
1: Which yeah. you know, which not,
0: is, is is a commitment, yeah, for sure. But compi- looking at the wine world and some of the wines that I work with now, you know, fifty dollars sure. is is is, is typically. It's a glass, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it is um, for those people, yeah, for and, sure.
1: And then from
0: there, you you graduated college, graduated college, yep, and uh, just shipped myself out to Las Vegas. Uh, I had an aunt uh, that I was pretty close with lived out there, and I wanted to live somewhere warm, and I wanted to live in a city, and I got most of those things. Las Vegas is basically one big suburb. Every road is, is Rockville Pike. Uh, okay. you know. um, and it's generally warm there. Uh, but I did get to work in some, some really great restaurants. My first job there was an extra board bartender at the MGM Grand.
2: Now,
1: how'd you land? Did you just like walk in, knock on a door? Pretty much, yeah. And just said, hi.
0: Yeah, and you know, it was, it was kind of lucky that they had a clearance from the union at that time to hire bartenders with restaurant experience, because they needed some, I guess, badly. Um, So they got to hire me off the street, and uh, I was immediately thrust into not only the casino bars, but uh, the bar at Knob Hill, which was a Michael Mina restaurant uh, at the time. Uh, Tom Colicchio's Craft Steak, which is still there, which is a stunning restaurant. Diego, a high-end Mexican restaurant with about 200-plus tequilas on the wall behind me. So it was a really, really great learning experience, being able to work throughout all those restaurants, meet lots of people. I mean, working a front bar in Vegas is difficult. People... From everywhere, go to Las Vegas, and they could walk up and ask you for anything.
1: I want to touch on that for a second. Keep on that for a second. So, I, I think of you as a wine guy, but sure. w- during your tenure there, you must have learned a lot about spirits.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It was my my uh, majority of my time there was behind a bar. Yeah. Did you come away with a love of anything? Tequila, gin. Te- tequila, right? if yeah. I had to pick one, tequila, yeah. and then the love of gin kind of came a little bit later in life. Uh, but yeah, th- those are definitely my two favorite spirits.
1: Very cool. I did not know that about you. So you kind of go through the the bar tending scene there. And at what point did you make the diversion towards wine?
0: It was kind of always what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't really get super serious uh, about it until. I realized that I had been bartending too long. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. uh, and this, and we're talking about four years uh, yeah,
1: at this point. But the money can be addicting. Bartending, I've, yeah. I've done it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I get that.
0: So I found a, uh, a culinary institute in uh, the San Jose, California area. Okay. Uh, it was about a three month program, so I just went up there and took that class, and kind of worked a little bit in in some retail and you know a couple of tasting rooms um, and some stages. I did a fair amount of stashes. Um, in restaurants, that anyone that would that would have us knowing that we were studying about wine, so um, that that was great. That that really put down a really great base layer of wine knowledge.
1: From Las Vegas mm-hmm. up to San Jose, mm-hmm. and then back to Vegas. Back to Vegas, mm-hmm. and now were you inserted into the scene as a wine guy?
0: Uh, no, I uh, I came back and I got a job as a server at Mario Batali's Carnevino, and okay. uh, I didn't. Break into the wine team immediately when the restaurant opened, uh, which was fine. You know, awesome Italian wine list. Italian wine was my first love. It was great. And then 2008 hit, and Vegas, you know, kind of went through its its 2008 2009 depression time. And you know, I had been there for five years, so I think it was time to uh, time to start looking around. And right about then, I heard that Michael Mina was opening a restaurant in Washington D.C. And I said, sold.
1: Now, at what point did you actually start your career, or I should say, your education towards the Psalm credentials.
0: So in California, okay. took the intro and the certification. So p- for so people don't know, two, that's level one. Yeah, level one, level two. Level two from the right. or something like So it.
1: level yep. one, you know, fairly, you know, great. Hey, yeah. you know, welcome to the club. Yep. Level two, a little tougher, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Level Let two it, is
0: definitely you know. a step up because that's where you have a service exam and a blind tasting exam right. as well as a theory exam. So it definitely right. goes up. You can actually fail that. Oh, for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then level three, I mean, mm-hmm. Not not just incrementally harder, exponentially
0: harder. Yeah. I think it's the harder. biggest jump between the four levels. Right. Yeah. So, level three. Mm-hmm. Where did you take I, that? I passed that in 2014 uh-huh. after I was already on the wine team at Bourbon Steak. So, okay. so a seven-year gap there. Um, and I took that in Portland, Oregon. That's where the exam was that I got accepted to and went out and passed it out there and came back and I'm still a sommelier at Bourbon Steak. So,
1: Very cool. Yeah. And and any, any uh, intention to go level four?
0: Yeah, I just need to study a bit more for it, but yeah. uh, it's it's on my radar.
1: Okay, level four master psalm. Yeah, which would be a really cool. Win that would be really cool. That would be I, really I cool. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see you wearing that pen. Thanks. All right, so you are working the floor mm-hmm. uh, as and and you really do have a deep cellar at Bourbon Steak. I mean, uh, when they yep. put the book down on the table, about, the table actually tilts <laughs> a, a little bit.
0: Maybe it's uh it's about th- it's thirty eight pages right now, uh, about eight hundred selections, maybe a little less right now, but yeah. That's uh, that's 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 where we're at.
1: Very cool. So you, so you've gone through all of this. Here you are today. Mm-hmm. You're you're, for lack of a better word, running the floor at, at uh, the Bourbon Steak. Do you have any tips for somebody who's who kind of wants to follow in your footsteps? What you
0: know, what would you tell an inspiring Psalm? Yeah, absolutely. Drink as much wine as possible. Absolutely. And know what you're drinking. Right. Um, whether you need to write it down, have a log. Um, you know, there's these fancy things called apps now. Uh, that you can take a picture on your phone and it'll record all of your wine for you. I think those can be really, valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I did um, know that. Um, I personally use Delectable. Um, there is uh, Vivino. I'm sure there's others out there. But uh, I think that they're, they're really great ways to being able to remember what you drink. And being able just to read wine labels. I think as you go through those pictures of labels or if you yeah. can find a a retail store, they'll let you just kind of walk around and just stare at the labels. Um, you know, one thing that a sommelier you know, needs to be able to do is give them a bottle of wine and they should be able to tell you something about it that's not on the label, but by looking at the label, if that makes right.
1: sense. Right. No, no. D- yeah. So, so yeah, just and just then, had that experience recently.
0: Yeah. And if you're looking for, let's say, certified level of an exam, you have to study. Uh, we're talking three hours a day, four or five days a week for a few months. Two, wow. Two to three months. Yeah. Okay. So, it's definitely it's, it's it's a it's a time it's a time commitment
1: for mm-hmm. sure very good friend of mine he was in episode two as a matter of fact uh, uh, Jim Schlekser, um the former CEO running a company just says hey I want to learn more about wine mm-hmm. for grins and giggles goes and uh, takes the uh, first level no problem second level was a little more challenging for him but he did it uh, he's gonna stop there just because you know mm-hmm. uh, he's not going to be in the restaurant mm-hmm. world he's just he did it for his own edification. And and the one thing that he absolutely said is you just have to taste, 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 taste. Yep. And uh, fortunately, we're very fortunate, I think, in DC that we have a number of of groups, of of uh, of psalms of who are really very generous with their time mm-hmm. in in working with aspiring
0: wine nuts. Yeah, the 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 sommelier, the blind tasting group, as it's called, but it's you know at times it's a study group. Usually it's blind tasting. It's been it's been really tight uh, long before I I, I came.
1: Are, are you a part of that? Remember yeah, that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started really blind tasting, just about every Sunday and Monday in about 2012, 2013, and uh, Kathy Morgan was still running. Oh, yeah. uh, Andy Myers was gearing up for his both MS both exam. Master and,
1: Psalms now. Yeah,
0: Jared, yeah. yeah, as well. Jared yeah. Slip. Um, so they were they were gearing up for their exams then. So that was a really great time to jump into it. And yeah, I've been you know carrying that flag along with a couple other people. You know, we we blind taste weekly.
1: So with all the wines. And, and you taste a lot, like, mm-hmm. right? A lot. Yep. Is there anything that you, you're kind of thrilled with right now? Any particular grape or any kind of particular wine style that, yeah, sure. that's grabbing Th- your thank attention? you for not asking
0: me what is my favorite wine. No, I would not uh, do that. Uh, you know, I, I do like everything, and I think that's a job of a sommelier also. But I'm really into Rhone whites right now. Really? Yeah. Um, everything from, you know, big, luscious, tropical, oaky, floral, Condru, Viognier, stuff oh my like that. God. Uh, to the Southern Rhone stuff, or the more Mediterranean, Languedoc, sure. Um, and it actually, on the By the Glass list at Burmsteig is the Brock Sellers uh, Love White Blend, which is from a high-elevation vineyard right outside of Fresno. Fresno? Yeah. Um, like, Somebody lose a bet? Yeah, right? Uh, no offense, Fresno. <laughs> they pick it really early. It comes out of 12% alcohol, and it's Marsan, Roussan, Grenache Blanc, and Peak Pool. Old oak, it has this richness, this weight. That's what I like about it. It's got that weight that you might associate with something like oak or over ripeness, but there's just it's just natural and it has this like kind of wow. mouth coating, like really sensual kind of palate.
1: When I always sort of knew that we were twin sons of different mothers, because <laughs> my my passion right now is our uh, white rounds. A matter of fact, oh, wow. last night, as I told you earlier, we had the 1990 Shaw of Blanc, unbelievable, just stunning, and then. Couple of nights before that, we had a two thousand Condrieu Gigal, Gigal, and just it was stunning. It's ones are great, you know. And I'm, okay, so I'm going to stay on this for a second because okay. I'm kind of fascinated because I kind of have a little bone to pick. Okay, if you don't mind. Sure. Condrieu, um, Viognier. Yep. Right. Uh, there, I, I don't know what it is. There's several psalms. I'm not going to mention their their names, but there are several psalms in town. They just hate Viognier. Sure. They, re- they they <laughs> said it tastes like soap in a bottle. Okay, I completely disagree with this. Well, first of all, I think it depends on the Viognier you're tasting. Sure, but I adore Roussan, Marsan, and Viognier, and I just don't understand the Somme hate for Viognier. <laughs> explains this to me.
0: Oh man, uh, well I'm not going to speak for other people as much. The floral aspect can be can be off-putting in a wine. You know, I think you kind of have to be in a mood for it. Uh, yeah. for sure. And you know, if something is dominant in a wine, you could view it as unbalanced. You know, maybe that's maybe that's what gets people. Um, and the alcohol can be a little high on on these wines too, sometimes. So it's not always an easy drink. Right? If, if that makes
1: just, sense. Yeah, also. I guess. But I just I love Viognier, yeah. and, and and I and I Vignette, feel like Rudolph the Red nosed Reindeer. Everybody sort of uh, excludes <laughs> me from the reindeer games because I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah. I love Viognier. Yeah, go sit over there.
0: Yeah. And you know, Viognier can have a uh, a kind of a bitterness to it. You know, which which is you know. Could be disliked by certain people, but yeah. But there are many different styles, you know. To uh, to put a blanket statement on any grape variety or any wine region, I think is a little
1: okay, bit. So, well. so let's go there. Let's. Are there any wines that you think aren't getting the credit they deserve, in your opinion?
0: Uh, well, yeah, a bunch. Um, honestly, I've been running into people hating on Bordeaux recently. What? Like mostly younger people. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, you, I know you drink plenty of Bordeaux. Um <laughs> Can I, you tell? I, I love Bordeaux. <laughs> Bordeaux has something for everybody. You right. know, um, there's there's crisp, delicious white wines, either driven by Sauvignon Blanc or Sémillon. Uh, there is rosé. There is some sparkling wine. Those are obviously a little bit less quantities. But, I mean, reds that range from chewy, unoaked, crunchy leaf, you know, Cabernet Franc-driven, right-bank right, right bank blends uh, to, frankly, the best wines in the world. Uh, and I think Cabernet Sauvignon uh, is getting a little bit of a bad rap sometimes now, too. Uh, just with the, um, the amount of success that it had. You know, younger people are looking for something different, uh, things like that. But um, I think that I think that Bordeaux is a pretty really? awesome wine region. Yeah, for sure.
1: I I just would never have expected you to say that. You know, Bordeaux is not really getting the respect it deserves. But I guess there is a whole new generation of people, uh, young wine drinkers, who are looking for something different—not your dad or mom's wine. Although I am always stunned and reminded. Uh, and and wonderfully reminded of how beautiful Bordeaux can be. Just mm-hmm. last week, just for grins and giggles, I was at a friend's house. We were having brunch. Uh, we killed a bottle of Krug. <laughs> nice, <laughs> and, yeah. And he says, "Here, open this." And he hands me, he just literally hands me uh, right out of the rack a bottle of 1975 Lafitte. And I kind of tussled with him. I'm like, "No, no, let's not. I don't want to open this." It's just, he's like, "Scott, when are we? What what are we waiting for? Really, what are we waiting for? Let's." Let's open it, let's try it you know. And wow, having that kind of an experience to be able to go back that far with uh, you know, not a lot of wines, not many wines really are you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but probably 95, 97 percent of wines sold aren't really meant to age like that. No, certainly not. Yeah. And and it was I gotta tell you, when it was stunning and it really kind of shined a, a hot white light back for me on Bordeaux to remind me. How good those wines can mm-hmm.
0: be. Yeah. And, you know, and on the other side, you can grab something from, say, the Côte de Castillon or the Omidoc yeah. uh, or the Côte de Bourg or Bly and get something really delicious on a retail shelf for, you know, $30 ish, give or take. Yeah. Know, I time.
1: don't think people realize that. Yeah. And as well as I think there's some really good values right now in the 2018 um, market, you know, if in the uh, in the futures market, you know, if you're willing to wait. For sure, if you're willing to yeah. wait, I think there's some really good deals there. I'm really glad that you you talked about that. So, when so, give me your thoughts on what's going on in the the food and wine scene here in Washington D.C. It's really come a long way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been lucky enough to be here for 11 years and really kind of watch it turn from this, you know, steakhouse driven, along with you know. Some fast casual and then some, you know, really generic and maybe not so great kind of ethnic restaurants. There's some some restaurants that really can specialize in some really, really unique cuisine that some people know about and have had before. And some really, really like groundbreaking type stuff like all the like the Filipino and the Laotian and all of that kind of stuff that's going on in some certain certain restaurant. I think it's 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 a lot of fun. And the wine bar scene, I know it's it's been all over the press the last couple of years, but we've had a lot of uh, really great wine bars as well as, you know, restaurants with really cool wine lists pop up at the same time.
1: Yeah, I was um, stunned kind of walking down 14th Street a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and, and not too long ago, 20, 30 years ago, you wouldn't really want to be walking down 14th it's Street. That's what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after sunset. And now it's like the happening mm-hmm. spot. For it sure. just was, as you said, wine bars, which you know, kind of. I grew up in California. Wine bars were no mm-hmm. special thing there. You know, there were, you know in, in the '80s, there were a lot of wine bars, but here in Washington D.C., didn't really see that. It's really been a rel- relatively
0: new. Well, you know that um, if D.C. were a state, it would have the highest per capita consumption of wine of any state. It would be number one out of fifty-one. Well, and that, and you know we, that, that we there need is, it. We do, we do need it, and you know there is some gray area there. There is that is consumption within whether people go out for a drink and then go home to Virginia or Maryland or something like that. They that gets counted in. DC. Okay. So so it, it's a little bit skewed, but that is that is where we're at here in Washington D.C.
1: Yeah, well, when your business is politics, yeah.
0: and you know the laws allow us to bring in really great products. You know, as I'm sure your listeners know, uh, each state is different as far as right. wine importing and things like that. Uh, D.C. is very, very lax. I mean, I can basically buy from anyone I want to as long as we pay the D.C. tax on it. And so that has allowed Bourbon Steak as well as anywhere else that chooses to in D.C. to bring in a lot of unique products to, to the city, and I would encourage everyone to do that.
1: Name three wines on your list that you're really excited about.
0: So I'll go back to Bordeaux. The Chateau jean and that was one of the first ones I fell in love with. 2003 Bordeaux was the first vintage and region that I kind of put together as to why it tasted like it does. Okay. Um, so I've been working with this wine for a long time. It's from the Cote de Castillon, uh, usually 80% Merlot. And it's just, it's rich, it's lush, it's got these kind of bready, leathery notes that are really nice. Another idea for you... Uh, we have uh, a new release called Taken from Granite. Uh, <laughs> and it's pretty cool. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the close wines. No. Uh, long story short, it's in the Sierra foothills, old mining area. Okay. Um, it's a cult wine, not because people want it real bad. It's a cult because it was actually like run by a cult. Oh, I have heard of this. Yeah. Yes. So their winemaker kind of fell out of favor, apparently. He has his own label now, and he's buying these old stocks back from the cult and releasing them under a new label. Okay. So the current release on these wines is in the 90s. And we have the the 99 Claret, which is uh, about 50% Cabernet along with its its friends. But it hits the wine list for under $150.
1: And it, again, from the Sierra
0: Foothills, California. And, yep. Okay. Yeah, North Yuba is the American uh, Viticultural Association uh, area yeah. uh, that it comes from. But uh, yeah, middle of nowhere, uh, real high elevation. And I think to get a wine with age on it at that price, I think is wonderful. And third... Uh, we just I, I just found like a really nice stock of old Italian wines. So there's a lot of stuff in there. Some stuff I've tasted. The 99 Gaia Sugar Relay. Oh, uh, uh, Molto little, Bene. So yeah, that was great. Uh, I haven't had it at the restaurant yet, but we have some 47 Borgogno Barolo uh, that uh, I have tasted once before, and it was maybe the best wine I've ever had. But you know, I don't like to pick favorites. And then some other stuff. And and 1947. You said.
1: Yep, that's pretty
0: cool. I'm yeah. gonna have to come in. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to figure out a way to. Find a special occasion for that for sure. All right. Well, you know, talking about all these wines has made me thirsty. Me too. So, you know, I think it's time for us. To, it's our signal for blind tasting, and I say blind tasting because uh, obviously the people listening to the podcast don't know what we're drinking. But you brought in two wonderful bottles. Mm-hmm one that uh, obviously i'm looking at right now i'm looking at the the label and one that we're going to actually taste well i'm going to taste blind you already right, yeah. you already know what it is and we're going to pontificate on that for a little bit yeah and
0: we're i, I always say one more uh, thing to add to the sommelier uh, recommendations blind taste wine yeah. not necessarily for identification but you know People get in these ruts about knowing what they like and knowing what they don't like or thinking as such, as it really is. Um, and so really getting that that preconceived notions out of wine tasting is super important. To taste blind. Yeah, for sure. And Whether you're trying to identify the wine or okay. not, just to talk about the wine.
1: You know what? Yeah, that's a,
0: that's a good idea. Blind tasting taught me how to talk about wine.
1: I'm, I'm going to a uh, dinner tonight. I'm going to put my I'm going to put my uh, bottle yeah. in foil and make people guess. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. It'll be fun. All right, well, let's talk about this first wine that you have in front of us because I have to tell you I'm very excited about this. This is actually one of my wife's favorite wines. My girlfriend as well. Uh, they well, should hang out. They should hang out. No, that's a bad idea <laughs> on a lot of levels. So, cheers first cheers. of all. Thank you. Thank this you. is wonderful, and I'm very excited to be tasting the uh, 2006 mm-hmm. Paul Roger Champagne. Yep, yep. vintage brute. Vintage brute. So, tell me why did you pick this wine?
0: then uh, well, it's well, I love it yeah, yeah, um I think it's one of the best, more widely available champagne houses there yeah. is the uh, the white label the 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 brute is is an awesome value um uh, and then you go up the chain just a little bit. you hit their their vintage Blanc de blanc and the vintage Brut here. This is generally sixty some percent Pinot noir, really, yeah. Because uh, they they use all their Chardonnay for their Blanc de Blanc, and the uh, and there is Pinot there is it's about a third each in the uh, in the white label brut, uh, but the vintage brut is generally a, a heavy chunk of Pinot Noir. In it. So I like that because it gives it that body, wow. these floor notes, these this little like kind of raspberry thing. And I'm always like struck by these Blanc de Noir style wines. Not that this is a true Blanc de Noir, but. How you can get these red flower and these red fruit flavors in this one? It's white. Yeah. I mean, I know it's super basic, but it's still just kind of getting
1: a little milk. bit of that raspberry pop in there. Mm-hmm. And you're wondering, hey, wait, you know, it's incongruous with what I'm looking at.
0: It almost tastes like a like a cherry starburst. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I I love this wine. What I love about it, the acidity is so bright, mm-hmm. and, and and it's 2006. Yeah. and I and it's just I love I love older champagnes. I know a lot of people like a fresher style. Mm-hmm. But I love to see what happens to champagne as it sort of starts to mellow out, um, and uh, this is this is beautiful, great bubbles. And I don't. And another thing about Paul Roger, I don't think people realize is for vintage champagne, how reasonably priced. Yeah, absolutely. These wines can be. Mm-hmm. These are. Yeah, I don't want to say they're inexpensive. They're not. They're not. They're not. But sort of on the that curve of vintage champagnes think they're kind of in a really good mid-price point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think they're a great way to stick your toe in the water for, you know, if you really want to try uh, an older vintage champagne, this mm-hmm. is a beautiful wine. To-
0: still uh, still owned by Paul Roger's family, too. That's nice. great. Yeah. Um Not the Roger name anymore through uh marriages and, and such, but still the family-owned winery. They make a uh, uh, just over a, a million bottles a year, which is not small.
1: No, um, but it's also not huge. I mean, you know, they're uh, compared to some of the, yeah, the some other to really, it. Yeah, some other houses can really, you know, chugging it out. Mm-hmm. So it's it's funny that you know it is a house champagne, you know, as opposed to a grower champagne, but yeah. owned by a family, it, it's kind of special. You don't really yeah. see a lot of the the bigger houses these days. Yeah. Still, uh, still
0: family run. Yeah, no oak on the wine, so I think that's pretty cool to kind of get that richness out of the Pinot Noir uh, as well. This is good. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah so I while so. I while I'm drinking this and you know continue to sure. talk about that, why don't uh, why don't you go ahead and do I need to turn my head or is yes, it, please? Okay, I'm going to turn my head away. Still going to talk in the mic, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to look. I, I hear it being poured, which is you know. Tell me when I can look back.
0: All right, all clear. <laughs> all clear. It's
1: yep. a, okay. The bottle's hidden. Yep. All right. It's red. It is red. Okay. I get a so, point for that.
0: You got. You have eliminated about half of the r- wines in the world All right. now. Okay. So it's red. So, hold on. I see you smelling the wine. The first thing we always do is we look at the color. Yes. You do. I do. Yeah. When, <laughs> when I blind taste wine, right. and, when, and when I try to taste wine, I always try to check out the color also.
1: Okay. And and I, I assume the meniscus. Try to figure out mm-hmm. age.
0: Yeah. Age, yeah. great variety, you know, stuff like that. Oh, um, oh, you know but what? I would there. just say right now, it's just a really beautiful kind of ruby core. Uh, you know, it flows out into a right. really, really uh, beautiful orange garnet rim. I'd say that rim is pretty wide. Yeah. And also, how many of my fingers can you see through the glass? There, you see all of it, right? Yeah, I can, so see, all pretty, the, I can see all. It's pretty translucent. All the fingers that you have under the glass. <laughs> all three of them. Right. Uh, so, so it's pretty translucent.
1: So, why well. do you do this? Tell me. T- you know, so it's it's just interesting. By the way, you always want to do it against a white background. Yeah, so we fortunately we have it, plenty one of right, right here for Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so why
1: do we? So look at the you, site? Yeah, What are you trying to figure out, man? I mean, you're you're looking at the, I, eh, like, you know. the first thing I did was I stuck my nose into the glass. <laughs> the first thing you did was you looked at the wine against yeah, a background, which is kind
0: of just habit. But um, I think you know there are different grape varieties. You know, if you're blind tasting for identification, let's let's throw that that qualifier in there. Okay. Um, if you're looking at a wine, if you're looking for degradation of color, that could be age. That can also be grape variety. Um, thinner skins, and or grapes that have less anthocyanin compounds in them to to color the wine.
1: Oh, win! Um, you, you speak so sexy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anthocyanins, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just everything's a clue if you're blind tasting. Everything's a clue if you're trying to figure out what the wine is. Or uh-huh. you can just blind taste just to get all those preconceived notions out there and to just kind of enjoy the wine and find out what you like about it. Maybe there's something you don't like about it. Um, okay. and and then the structure is very important, which we'll get into.
1: So, okay. So I'm looking at the wine and I can tell you that it's, it's, it's what I would call a lighter style red wine from looking at it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't think of this as a big, deep, inky black no, wine. Not at all. Right. So that eliminates a lot.
0: Yeah. Does this look like current release Napa Valley Cabernet to you? Not at all. No. So. No. So or that, does it look like again. Australian Shiraz? Exactly. Yeah.
1: So then, then what do or, you do? It's
0: a deductive process. You're always just eliminating things. Mm-hmm. So you're, we're going from the entire wine world to, you know, maybe one wine. All right, so now we can Now we can smell
1: now it. Now we can smell it? Yeah, for sure. Oh, thank God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I've already smelled it. So we always start with fruits. I think this is really driven by cherries, maybe a little bit dry. Oh, definitely cherries. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, kind of like those red Bing cherries. Uh, maybe some Pop right cherries. out. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. And, it, and I know this doesn't. Maybe translate well, but it smells juicy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so definitely getting the cherry in there,
0: and so then kind of we just kind of some go secondary secondary some flavors. Secondary, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, leather, I think is a big one on this one.
1: Yeah, mm. I'm gonna be excited about this.
0: This guy has kind of like a alpine flower, wildflower kind of thing going on. Okay, so
1: first step. Wow, it's beautiful. I love, I love the way it coats the palate. Really, it is juicy, but you know, it's got got some good tannin in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's, those, there's a little bit of grip there yeah, in the, in the middle sure. of the palate. Yeah, it's it kind, kind of kinda long lasting. It's not it's not painful. Yeah, um, but it's it's pretty oh, strong. Pain, yeah. it's pretty strong where it happens. Um, and and yeah, it's it's long lasting for sure. It's rustic. You know, it's not. It's not a big bordelais, you know. Hang on for dear life, sitting like a crown on top of the head.
1: No, but you know, getting the tan in the cheek.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, what
0: do you think about oak on this wine? Do you think there's new oak? That's that's kind of where I always start. Is there a new oak on the? You
1: no, know, I'm not getting new oak. No. no, yeah, me neither. No, I'm not
0: getting new oak. So it Maybe, doesn't have a bomb of vanilla and baking no, spices and cream. No, not, and stuff
1: like not getting, uh, not getting new oak. I'm not sure, really. You know, that definitely has tannic grip, though. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Um, I guess I'm going to start now sure. to make a fool of myself, or I could
0: just tell you. Oh, no, no,
1: I'm, I'm going to get you went the trouble of hiding the light from me. <laughs> let's <gasps> let's just for fun. Let's play along and see how bad I am at this game. I'm going to say Old
0: World. Yeah, obviously, lack of fruit compared right. to the uh, yeah, the, the, and
1: the and I'm probably going to head towards Italy if uh, if you don't mind. I, I think that's that's fine. Um, and it's interesting because it's sort of got that lighter style, like a, a classic Chianti. Guanti Classico, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm going to call it a Sangiovese and see what see what it is we're drinking. Sure. So tell me.
0: So you're close. Oh, good. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not Sangiovese. Uh, it's Nebbiolo. Oh, oh, uh, good. But not from a real classic blind tasting place. So if you come over to my house and ask me for a glass of red wine, yeah, this yeah. is what you're going to get. Uh, so this is uh, Bulgara from the Rosso di Valtellina appellation. So this is in Lombardy. This is in that very north central area of Italy. Sure. Yeah, um, uh, kind of near Milan in the foothills Trudel. of the Alps. Yeah, these these are the wines I love to drink. They're pretty high acid. They can be pretty high in tannin. As you turn the the bottle around, it's a 1999
1: yeah, vintage. Well, uh, you know what? I would not have gotten 99 out of this. Yeah, I would have thought it was enough. much younger. Mm-hmm. Just the way that that um, it still got some primary fruit in it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think 99. And, and the thing about Italian wines is they they just can age for sure. And and um um. 99 great vintage thank you by the way for bringing that in Of course, it's pretty cool for grins and giggles if and i don't know that you can find the 99 mm-hmm. if, if you can I, that'd be kind of cool what does this wine typically run in newer it, vintage it's in the market
0: it is for sure yeah um i don't know if this is the current release from the winery yeah um but i know that these guys are importing directly from so so this hasn't been hanging around too long but this wholesale is for around 20 dollars. so it would be 35 ish <sighs> Maybe on really? a retail store, yeah, and sixty ish at Bergman Steak. I'm I'm going to go buy this wine for sure. Yeah. I, I I always encourage people to to drink older wine because that's kind of how wine is meant to be drank. You know, if you're at a if you're at a store or if you're at a at a wine list uh, looking at a wine list at a restaurant, I always look at the vintages and then the price points and then the wine third after that. So you know, just I, to see what I can afford with some age on it.
1: On I, I know a lot of people. Would say, oh, you know, Italian wine. I want to have this pasta. Mm-hmm. I actually would love to have this with lamb. Mm-hmm. I think this would be a great wine. Yeah, just a roast lamb, mm-hmm. you know, and and this would be perfect with it. Yeah. It's got the tannin, got great tannins, and again, no oak or at least no
0: Just, n- just new oak, r- really old right. big oak yeah. vessels. Nothing crazy. Probably in Forders or something like mm-hmm. that. But this this region of Valtellina is really crazy. It's kind of apocalyptic looking. It's the the steeps are super <laughs> slope, uh, sorry the the slopes are super steep. Uh, as well, uh, some, some wineries, not mm-hmm. these guys, but they have to harvest into their baskets and then airlift the baskets off of this by helicopter. Wow. Sometimes. Yeah, it's it's really crazy the lengths that they go to. Not unlike, you know, the Mosul in Germany.
1: Sure. Remind you know, me, things though, things not like to participate that. in a, you know. Uh, no thanks. A, <laughs> a yeah. harvest there. Yeah. Well, Wynn, I have to tell you, that was absolutely fantastic. I love the Paul Roger. If you Actually, would you mind just telling our listeners, once again, what were the two sure. wines that we, we sure. tried? Sure. So,
0: the first wine was the 2006 Paul Roger Vintage Brut. And the second wine was the 1999 Bulgara Rosso di Valtellina, uh, 100% Nebbiolo. We'll
1: run out and find both of these wines. Yeah, for we're sure. great. And thank you so much for coming in and bringing these wonderful wines. And thank you for spending time with me in this episode. It's been
0: great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for listening to The
1: Wine Guy, a WTOP News podcast. Follow me on Twitter at The Vine Guy and catch my Wine of the Week segments on Fridays on WTOP and WTOP.com. Sarah Beth Hensley produced this episode and the music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Lewitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Until the next episode, remember, do good, drink well.
2: To be your best every day,